This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Alexis Gray as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter Podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. Another episode. That's what I was going to say. Another episode. <laughs> welcome back. I'll say welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of what, To Megan? another episode. Of what? Of the Thereafter Podcast. It's the Thereafter Podcast, in case you didn't know already. We kind of took an unexpected little winter break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, the holidays just happened, and we were like, wait, has it been three weeks? <laughs> Maybe we should put out an episode, but two. whatever it was, it felt like forever, but it was a great time to have a little lull in releasing because the episode that was out was so good. And so, like, it really gave space and time for everyone who needed to to be able to hear the episode with Pastor Trey. Yeah, and it was such a good one. That was such I, I love Pastor Trey, and his book is. Did it come out today? No, it's Does it come I'm out on the it's launch next team. Week. I should know. It's next week. It's like the third, the thirteenth, I think. Okay. Yes. It's hard to keep track when you have so many friends who are putting books out all the time. It's like whose book is out today? <laughs> Okay, but do you know what I do? When I go to Barnes & Noble now, I go to the religion section, and then anybody that I know that wrote a book, I pull their book out and put it in front of the problematic books. <laughs> so Kevin Nye's book is always there, and um, I put it in front of, like, MacArthur. Like, any of the, you know, weird – and then I'll put, like, Rachel Held Evans in front of John Eldridge, and um, Taylor Schumann's book is always there, and so I pull hers out, and and it's it's so much fun. I, I f- it's like it's kind of it. like the opposite of being a missionary, you know? Like mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm planting some little seeds, but the other kind, a counter, a counter missionary, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus and John Wayne, you know, you just got to get them all out there. 
I love it. I love it. And well, and and at at Pals, I mean, that's your bookstores. They have everything. I mean, they have all the books. They still have um, like his dating goodbye. That's wild. That's and then they wild. have this book that brought was a total throwback. It was called Too Close Too Soon. And that's what you do if you you didn't wait to kiss and you mm-hmm. did make out with your boyfriend. And then you're like, oh, shoot, how can I re-cleanse the slate? And so you mm-hmm. read Too Close Too Soon. And then mm-hmm. you just you get to go back. It's like a reset. It's like be- regaining, re-virginizing yourself yeah, exactly. in Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, but only if you like made out or you know cuddled or something. Not if you went all the way. There's no coming back from that. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, speaking of going all the way, I feel like this is a good time before speaking we jump into of, the episode. I want to plug our event that's coming up because it's getting closer, and I'm getting I'm seeing some people register, and every time I get that, I get a little email. Maybe people don't know this, but I do get a little email anytime somebody registers, and it brightens my day. And, then and Megan sometimes does a happy I recognize. Dance. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I, I recognize one. the name and sometimes I don't. And I just I'm so pumped because I I'm remembering how much fun we had last time in Portland. And I'm really excited about our next event. I am. I'm pumped as well. Content warning event is happening February 16th and 17th, 16th and 17th. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's a Saturday and Sunday, but um, I just want to throw out there, and we just put up the details on the website, contentwarningevent.com, that there is there are going to be some people hanging out on Friday night. So if you come into town early, because the event starts early on Saturday morning, I know sometimes it's like, where is everybody? And we do have um, a little hangout happening. We're going to have kind of a separate room to the side of Lucky Lab, um, which is like a dog-themed brewery in Portland, because, of course, Portland. <laughs> So Portland. What else is going on? What, like, in addition to the event or, like, at the event? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, I was just talking about in life. But let's keep talking about the event. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, we, I really would like people to sign up and be there. And also, like, I just want to highlight, like, the virtual aspect of the event, too. If people cannot attend in person and are like, oh, the virtual is going to be um, – no one's going to be paying attention to it. We're going to put like a camera on the corner, like on a tripod in the corner and like, just not think about it. That's not the case. We are like the venue we have is like set up to do live streaming. We're going to have collaborators who are like focusing on engaging with the online attendees during each session. So it's like the online attendees are going to get attention and be involved in what we're doing um, to the greatest extent we can involve people. So I, I did want to say that because a lot of times I do know that that's kind of the, oh, I'm going to sign up for the online and then it's going to be, I'm going to be an afterthought and it's not going to be worth it. We're going to really work hard to make it worth it for those who are attending virtually. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because I just actually put out a thread on Twitter about the cost and just to be transparent because I, I like transparency and I don't want people to think that, I mean, we're charging a um, hundred bucks or as the price tier goes, like a little over a hundred bucks um, per person. And we paid 10 grand for a an, an venue. And that was because we wanted to embed our live stream and have that availability for, and that accessibility and equity for everyone that wants to zoom in, or um, I think it's going to be through the YouTube platform. But I, I just want to emphasize that because one thing that I've learned about accessibility is it's not something you can just have as an add-on. Like I work in 
um, curriculum publishing too. And and it's just, you have to begin with accessibility. You can't just be like, okay, how can we take this event, this thing, and just add on accessibility? It's something that if you don't begin with it in mind, then it's going to be really difficult to make it equitable. And so that was important for us. And so um, we did do that, but that also means there's a cost to the event. And so that's why we have that cost. But I will say this, um, we we want you to come regardless. And so if, if there is a significant financial barrier and you're not able to pay that fee, reach out, let us know. We can figure something out, you know? So yeah. we'll, we'll uh, support you because we want, we'd rather lose money and see you than, you know, break even and not have people that really wanted to be part of that community. Absolutely. It's about the community. That is a hundred percent why we're doing it. And Hopefully people know that about us here. Um, we try to say it often, uh, and hopefully those listening who are interested in being a part at whatever level you may want to be involved, uh, you reach out and uh, and get involved. Megan, what, what else is going on for you in life, in the world, uh, virtually, et cetera, before we get into um, our interview? I, yeah, not a lot. I think... We can dive in. I well, I will say this. I just watched the. Do we talk about this on the pod? Do we talk about the Escaping Twin Flames, the Twin Cult documentary? I don't think so. You and I talked I we, about it. Yeah, we but texted I don't know about if we it. Talked about it on the, on the podcast. I'm not a big TV watcher, but I get sucked into those documentaries, and I was kind of fascinated. I watched the Netflix one, and then I watched the um, Amazon Prime, and I think perhaps that's what made me want to be so transparent about the costs of things we do and about the reasons and rationale behind the things we do, because I'm like, hey, we, like you do you. You have agency over anything that you want to do, because I, I see these people rise up in online spaces that have such weird intentions and they're making hundreds of thousand dollars grifting off people's trauma and that it 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 makes my brain break and i just want i always want to be transparent about everything that we're doing when we build online community so that people know that that's that's not where we're at we're not doing this for the money we have our own full-time jobs and things like that <laughs> yeah yeah the grift is wild it's <laughs> I and, but I and do, honestly, it's yeah. if you come to content warning, you will find your twin flame. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> it's a guarantee. Uh, I'm just kidding. Whew, uh, no, oh, that man. is not. Yeah, I, I watched the Amazon one, but I haven't watched the Netflix one yet. It came out. The Netflix one came out afterwards. So I, I had already and I'm not sure if it's is it worth watching both of them. I actually think the Netflix one is a little bit better, but there's there's some different information. Um, oh, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about before we jump in, this, did you see what happened on that Alaska Airlines flight? The, the side of the plane flying off? Yeah. I thought of you. I almost texted you because I was like, that's Megan's airline. That's like, you're always like, oh, I fly. I fly Alaska only. Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, It's the best. Since uh, I've been traveling for work, I have had to just fly whatever, like the work, my job has preferred airlines, but also I'll, I have to fly within like a price tier. But um, I will say that I flew 
an Alaska flight on one of those planes on Christmas Day with my kids. And they said it was a brand new plane because they didn't even have Wi-Fi installed yet. And I thought to myself, oh, it's a brand new plane that's probably – and because I am a nervous flyer. I'm an anxious flyer. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't like the takeoff. And then if there's turbulence in the air, I get I, – I pretty much think I'm going to die. And so I definitely um, – thought, oh, well, you know, brand new plane. It's it's probably, that's great. Um, but I then when that happened, I that was a new plane too. And I, I kind of tried to do a little research to see if I was on the same plane or... Um, yeah. Apparently but, when they yeah. say new plane, it's just old planes that they like put new sides on. <laughs> They're like, yeah. it's new now. <laughs> Did we you, and then they, they found panels. the the door in somebody's backyard. Oh my God. That's it was like, a, uh, a Portland teacher. Um, it said that his name was Bob, and there was an NPR article with some updates, and it said they found the door and also a couple cell phones. And so oh I my. just, yeah, I, I've been tweeting about it because it was pretty disturbing and because I was already a nervous flyer. So um, hopefully this means that they're going to change some of the regulations and some of the requirements because um, i got to fly. I've got, yeah. Confirmation for me that I will forever and always – continue to be an aisle guy (laughs) that late that that gal who got sucked out of the southwest airplane window uh like a year ago or something that was the first time where i was like see the window seat not all it's cracked up to be i don't know Um, if i've heard that story but oh yeah (laughs) look look it up i don't know Um, if i will more reasons to sit in the aisle because you can get up and go to the bathroom for one she was wearing a parachute best reason Um, no, I don't think she got sucked all the way out. I think she got like sucked halfway out. I don't know exactly. I think it might've been a fatality. Um, I probably shouldn't be talking about it so insensitively, but like, uh, sit in the aisle, you know, like wherever you can or sit in the middle. And, uh, then you got two people to hold on to either side of you. If something happens. Yeah. Although now with, I don't know when the last time you flew, but it's like they have price tiered almost every single seat. So the middle seats are cheaper it, or they'll say you can't choose a seat if unless you pay more. And so then you mm. end up in a middle seat because those are the less desirable. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to avoid I was, that whole area. I was, was going to too. try to make a gin hat maker call back, but like it's like I couldn't <laughs> do it. So anyway, if you're listening and you know, you know, if not, you can try to look it up. Anyway, Just let's DM us. We'll tell you the whole story. <laughs> let's let's get into our conversation. Today is a two-parter and a return guest. So, uh, Megan, what are we what are we doing today on the pod? Yeah, I explained a little bit in the interview why we we kind of started talking about this kind of high control schools, uh, settings, environments, but we knew Matt would be a great guest to come back and just tell us his experience in his leadership school. And so he goes through that. So we go through that, um, part one and then part two, he'll finish up his story and then we'll have some listener clips and some stories that were shared about some other programs as well. And I think it's really important to shed light on the toxicity that happens in some of these programs, especially as I say, kind of in the interview, they're catching folks right as their prefrontal cortex is just finishing developing and trying to kind of cement that indoctrination. And so it's good to highlight this and just have people know this. these are some of the things that go on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I don't think there's any more we need to say about it. Let's get right into the episode. Matt, the snarky gent, returns to the pod. 
Welcome, welcome. Another episode of the Thereafter Podcast. We have a returning guest, always my favorite. I think Matt, the snarky gent, is actually a second time returning guest because Matt also came on to do a Twitbits with us in addition oh, yeah. to the interview that he did. So we're going to count this as your third time back, Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's me, Matt, and the snarky gent back here. Uh, glad to be back on the podcast. Looking forward to having a conversation about high control religious <laughs> groups in evangelical upbringings. You sound enthused. Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> looking forward to I, it's it. It's going to be weird. This is partly this is like the first time I've actually talked about it in depth and like I'm going to be much more specific about it. So there's a little bit of like, okay, we're going to make this real. And this is a thing that I'm actually reflecting on in detail right now. Yeah. I also love that, like, it's a Saturday. Like, just to set the stage of the set recording. The it's just a Saturday morning. We're all, like, drinking our coffee. We rolled yeah. out of bed, and we're like, all right, let's have a very intense conversation about high-control religious environments. <laughs> I'm in stretchy pajama pants. It's, yeah, it's it's a good I just morning. went for a run. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, two more times on the podcast, Matt gets a five-timer jacket, which is going to be... Awesome. All right. Oh, there's a jacket. Do I, I? I've been on the podcast more than five times. Do I? You get don't a have your five timer jacket. That's a SNL. You guys, you know, the the five timer club. That's, that's that was like a Steve oh, Martin. I was and, homeschooled. Remember? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> SNL wasn't part of your I curriculum. A, I have get a right very into sporadic <laughs> understanding of pop culture. It's very hit or miss. Oh, I was homeschooled, and then. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I was homeschooled, and then we're going to dive into the other part of that. And it's like, yeah, this is just very, it's a very weird mix of, like, what I know and what I don't know. So I was I was homeschooled as well, and also, like, very sheltered in terms of what I was supposed to consume media-wise. But also my parents, for a big portion of that, worked full-time. And I was doing a Becca video school through Pensacola uh -huh. Christian University. So, like, I would... So, like, my parents would go to work and be like, oh, yeah, pop in your VHS tapes to do your school. And I would just turn on Ricky Lake and, like, just like <laughs> that. It, and daytime TV, Maury Povich. and like Ricky Lake? Because I used to watch Ricky there's Lake. Also, <laughs> there's something so dark about it. It's like, I was homeschooled. Also, my parents worked full time. <laughs> and that's just like, oh, that's just so bad. Like, that sentence alone is just so, like, well... I think we should have some slight regulations on this stuff. What's wild is like, when they find the out that being a teacher is a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, like, I definitely okay. didn't have the, the classroom experience where my mom, like, sat me down at the kitchen table and took a roll call. Like, <laughs> I mean, nobody did that, really. <laughs> Here's the Everybody thing. imagined it was like that, and then it's mostly just you procrastinating. I imagine that, Cortland, you would have been that kid in the class when you're, if you're like taking attendance and everyone's like, here, 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 you would have come up with some clever way to be like, present and, and say something totally different. And the whole class would start giggling and it would derail the teacher. That's, yeah. yeah. But I never had the chance you, to do it because I yeah, was alone in out. my room. <laughs> would you like me? Would you like me to take attendance right now as the you teacher to, recreate to my the experience. two homeschooled friends? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I do want to dive in. Here's the thing. 
Um, one of the reasons, Cortland and I have been talking about having this conversation for a while, and um, I, we have a friend of the pod um, who asked to remain anonymous but said that I could share a little bit, um, that sent me a podcast episode to listen to. The podcast was called Let's Talk About Sex, but not S-E-X, Sex. It was S-E-C-T-S. And the episode was on, um, I think it was an Assemblies of God, Master's Commission School. And this uh, friend of mine, friend of ours, had been through this Master's Commission program. And and I went for a run. It was like a seven-mile run. I listened to this episode and texted her after and was like, oh, my God, this is what you went through? And 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 it's like having these conversations and pulling them to the surface and really being able to kind of say, this is what's going on. These are still happening. This is what this looks like. I think really not only helps people feel seen, but also gets that dialogue out there because I think some people don't realize the abuse that happens within these environments. So I just wanted to jump in. And so we have Matt here because Matt went to a leadership school? Is that kind of what they yeah. build themselves yeah. as? Yeah, I can, I can go. Uh, so I, uh, I went to yeah, a uh, program called the Revolution 5 Leadership Institute in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, from 2013 to 2014. Uh, it was, I believe, September to May. There were eight other students, uh, three other guys, five other women, if I remember correctly, uh, so nine of us all together. There were uh, four other students from previous years who had come back as sort of like a like advanced role. They were called benchmarks, and they were sort of like this, like, here's someone who did really well in Rev 5, and they've come back to, like, teach you guys to and, like, learn even more about leadership themselves. Okay, and I'm going to ask, were... is this something you were striving to become then? Is, was this kind of pushed, like, a oh, benchmark. if you do well? Yeah, there was, like, sort of an honor to, like, becoming chosen to become a benchmark. Like, if you got asked, that was, like, a really big deal. Uh, and then there were four people who were, like, the leaders, two couples. Uh, they were both married, uh... Uh, so it was like two married couples sort of like teaching different things across the day. And then you had like student leaders and then us students. Uh, typically everyone was like 18 to like mid 20s. Uh, and yeah, that's how it, uh, the program operated. And like, so I got into it because one of my friends in the like, theater stuff that I had gotten involved with uh, that was like one of the only things I did as a homeschool student that involved other people. Uh, one of my friends did this program and I heard about it and they had like a sort of like demo, like you could go, it was called like a preview night where like they had like a sort of retreat where aspiring students could come to like find out what the program was about. So like I went to that and it felt like very engaging so I signed up for the program, which was, I think, it was several, th it was thousands of dollars. I was going to ask yeah. about cost. Yeah. So next. my parents, my parents paid for it primarily. Uh, but like, I tried to get as much money as I could beforehand because you couldn't really work during the program. Okay. Like you, you're, you'd be doing it full time. So like you had like what savings you had to like spend on like clothing you'd need or like, I don't know, like if you wanted snacks or wanted to buy a book, like anything that you, any incidentals that you would have for the next nine months, you would have to cover out of pocket yourself. In addition uh, to 
paying for the actual training, right? So like, yeah. it's like yeah. you're, it's not like all of the money that you spend mm -hmm. on this training is yeah. providing your food and shelter and clothing. You're, I mean, it's a lot of the money was like we would they they cover meals and stuff and like, but okay. like. A lot of it was just like this, like, okay, so like, if you want to like buy something nice for yourself, you're like looking at your bank account balance and like going like, yeah, I don't have a job. So like, uh, maybe I just don't like, I remember that entire year. I basically didn't like, I wasn't normally a black coffee drinker at the time, but I didn't drink cream with my coffee because I would have had to buy cream for myself because they weren't providing that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, okay. Uh, there, I have so many things that I want to unpack, but I also, and I want Cortland for, I have a question for you too, Cortland, even though I, you're, you're the co-host, <laughs> but, um, cool. yeah, I've got, I've got shit that I could say about all this for sure. Well, I, I want to just go back to where you said you were 18 to 22, because I feel like that's where the Venn diagram overlaps with all of these. This is where, yeah. when I was in college, I signed a pledge to be, I was, you know, to be a short-term missionary right in those years. I feel like there is something about catching people right before their prefrontal cortex finishes developing and just really grabbing and, and kind of cementing that indoctrination. And so the, the reason I want to flip to Cortland is because you had some really pivotal moments in those years for you too, that put you in high control environment. And, and I don't know how much, like, I, I want you to kind of put us into where you were too in that time. Yeah. I mean, I joined a cult at 17 and it's interesting because I was probably like right about to leave faith altogether. I remember having a conversation with my friend Spencer sitting in my apartment. We were smoking weed. I had dropped out of high school. I was, you know, sitting on the floor in our dining room that had no furniture <laughs> of our apartment, smoking a bong. And I remember Spencer saying something like, oh, Cortland used to be a Christian, but he doesn't believe in God anymore. And I remember just like agreeing kind of casually with him. Uh, and thinking, like, that's it. Like, I'm done. And then, like, six months later, I was in training to become a youth pastor. <laughs> what so, what like, grabbed you? Like, Matt was, like, this preview weekend. What was your thing? I, it was, it was, uh, so I, I took a bus out to Denver. I was, I was just unsatisfied with life. I was, like, I got out of school, and I wasn't going to college, and I, and I wanted to do... I had read, you know, Compolo's books. I had read Shane Claiborne's books. I'd read about the simple way and mission year and the new monastic movement. And I wanted to be a part of something where it was like, you know, we were like working together and living together and like doing something important. Right. I see Matt nodding. <laughs> it's like a very similar sentiment. I think well, that, that is, that is so much of the pitch that was yes. read five was that sort of like, you're going to do something important. We're going to be an intentional community. We're going to like save the world because everybody is desperate and lonely and isolated and feels a lack of purpose. And we have what they need, which is Christianity and specifically a very evangelical version of Christianity, specifically a new apostolic reformation version of Christianity, but we keep it kind of obfuscated with this sort of almost an inst it's fundamentalism with an Instagram filter on it. Like it was very aesthetic and very like, we're all just raw people. There's not any of this, like, this isn't old dusty religion. This is a relationship and this is an intentional community. We're a band of brothers and sisters. And oh, yeah. like, Oh yeah. That's the messaging. 
it doesn't matter like which denomination it is, but like these little groups or bigger groups, they all have that same like that same emotional pitch is everywhere. And I think and what was stacked up against that? What was the other option that you were given? Like if I don't go to leadership school, this is what I would do. Or did you have another I, thing? I you mean, since I was I was raised in evangelical fundamentalism uh, and homeschool. So my contextual reality was you are either a Christian and you have purpose. You're a like bad Christian and you feel bad. Or there's like basically not being a Christian was like non-existence. So like I partly was doing it because like I in the back of my head had this idea that like if I don't do this, I'm going to stop being a Christian one day because I'm bad at being a Christian. And yeah. I don't I have to give I have to like amp this up or I'm going to become wake up one day and realize I'm an atheist. And that would be the worst possible outcome because I've been sure. hammered for years with that idea. And so that's why I did. It was partly, it was just this like desperation to like, I need to make this work because for years I've struggled to feel like I am a good Christian because yeah. like, I'm just bad at being a Christian. And it's like, because I've be, I've been under standards of literal perfection yep. with no it, room for error or it's, imperfection it's, or just not having to strive. It's kind of like, I, I would say like, like if you were in, if we talk about Christianity, like a music scene, right? For people who maybe didn't grow up in religion or in Christianity, right? Say you grew up in this like local music scene and your friends were in bands writing music. And there's this idea that like, you're either going to like become professional musicians or you're probably going to like stop playing music, right? You're at this point in life where, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I played in a band once in high school and you're just an old normie. And, you know, you're not going to do music anymore or you're going to go full tilt, quit your job, tour the country, live in your van, be a musician. That's the moment for Christianity that I think people find themselves at 1718. It's like either I can give up or I can become a professional Christian and that will solve yep. my problems. That will make it so and that I have to serve Jesus. And what's, you know, the dark humor of all of that looking back is like, I'm just looking back and going like, and all of the struggles I had were because of my evangelical upbringing. Like specifically all of these doubts, all of this insecurity, all of this feeling of like, I should be doing more. All of those were things that I was told to feel. And okay. like, so all of this stress that I then go through to try to be enough for evangelical Christianity is me trying to force myself to meet their standards that were already too high. And so it's like this weird, like, our standards are too high, and you fail them. And we make you feel bad for failing the impossible standards we made. And we ask you to do more things. Because if you do more things, that will make it work somehow. Like, if you, if you try even harder to reach an even more impossible standard that you already couldn't reach the one we already set... Somehow you believe because you're an 18 or 20 year old who doesn't have another context for like, you don't have to feel like this at all. You're just like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I should actually do more things that I can't do because somehow like that I'll the, the Holy Spirit will meet me and make it happen. I, I, yes, absolutely. And I want, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail. I just need to say something though, that because, and, and cause this, I don't want to get distracted, but what I want to say is that 
for, for me, it's so interesting to hear that perspective because I kind of did the opposite of what you guys did. I signed that pledge at Urbana 2000 to become a short-term missionary for a year, one to three years after I graduated. And sometimes I say that fucked me up even more than or as much as a purity pledge because what happened was I graduated and it fell through. And I won't even get into the long story. I have it on a blog somewhere. I won't even get to into why because it was a fucked up reason why and someday we'll tell that story. But I... It took me decades to recover from the shame of not doing the thing that I said I would do. Mm -hmm. And so here you guys like took this path and had so much trauma from it. And I think about how with the mindfuck of like, and then if you don't take the path, you have so much shame from not doing the thing that you thought would be making you a professional Christian, right? And so that's, it's part of the reason I wanted to do this episode because I feel like there are so many, there's YWAM, there's IHOP, there's so many stories that we've heard just as we've come into this of like, okay, these are the high control things that people get thrust into when they're in their 18 to 20s, right right after high school, right after college. And so now I kind of want to move into like what those environments look like because for you, Matt, like, how soon were you in Rev 5 before you were like, wait a second, this, this maybe isn't what I signed up for. This maybe like is, is a little bit abusive. Like, Honestly, so like the, the thing that's a little bit sad is during Rev 5, aside from a few moments where I was like really overwhelmed with like the pressure that I was under, there were like no moments where I was like, this is not what I signed up for and I need to get out of here. Because it's, it came much I was later at, for you. Yeah. I was coming into this with like, I was a homeschool kid. I had done like some theater stuff in like the high school equivalent era for me. So my experience was like most of the time I was not around more than four people during a day. And those four people were related to me. Yeah. Most day, like at a few points in a week, I might be around other people if we did like extracurricular stuff. But like, I didn't have a lot of close friends. As I did theater, I had more of these opportunities where, like, I would have days where, like, I was around other people and starting to, like, understand, like, oh, this is maybe, like, what normal people experience. That, like, oh, I'm hanging around with people. I have an easy rapport with them. You know, I was struggling in that because homeschooling, lack of uh, social experience means that even limited social interaction becomes difficult. But so doing Rev 5, I suddenly go from that to, like, I'm around... 15 people I all I know all of them very well it's all very close it's all very intense and I feel like that's basically like taking a pendulum swing from like one extreme to the other mm. and it was for a isolated homeschooling kid who didn't believe he could fit in anywhere being around this like thing where it's like this is important this is you're becoming the person you were meant to be and we're all this like tight-knit community was like almost addictive Oh, yeah. That, like, I could not, like, I could not be expect, like, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I can't imagine, like, a 20-year-old being basically starved for social connection. Going into that environment, I could not, like, disentangle it because it was just, it was, it was too much and it overwhelmed my ability to, like, go, hey, this is actually not good for me because this is too much of a good thing. Yeah. Even if, like, even if there were also discounting, like, the other, it's like, it was just like in, inherently that social structure of being living in this space with other people wouldn't have been healthy for me because like yeah. I needed to do it in, a little bit more gently 
because I was just not experienced enough to be able to handle that well. But, like, uh, I mean, looking back, I'm like, there were, like, several points where I was just, like, I hit, like, a wall of, like, I hate this moment so much. But, like, in my mind, it was almost this, like, I'm mad at myself for not being someone who's so, like, on fire for God and so tough that I just accept whatever comes my way. I imagine your brain framed those miserable moments as like, oh, I, I need to try harder. I need to be a better Christian. Yeah. I need to like pray more. I need to have better quiet time. And then I need to like, what quote unquote, give this to God. Right. Is that kind of yeah. how? Yeah. A lot yeah. of that just, or just this sort of like, I don't know, this sort of despairing moment of like being in like a grueling workout or something and hitting this wall and just being like, well, I can't say no because that would be like, I can't stop. I have to just, trudge through this pain because okay like, wait back up required workouts can we talk about oh, yeah. this oh okay yeah so again one of the things we're like oh right that was not normal yeah goes right into something that i want to talk right. about too so this is great yeah so as a part of ref five you have to work out five times a week oh my god and you wake up at seven or you work out at seven workouts start at seven for every minute someone is late we're going to be running uh sprints oh my god during the Wait, like, and so the whole team has are, to be there so that you can avoid yeah, this. At the punishment. dot of seven, uh, we go out, we work out usually like an hour, hour and a half. Uh, workouts were sporadic and not like th there was nobody on the team who was like an expert in physical exercise or like we were not getting our workouts tailored to our level of physical capacity and ideal like holistic health goals. Like, this was like a lot of the workouts were essentially done mostly to like prove that you were tough like the idea was we're going to do stuff that is physically difficult so that you get used to telling your body to obey your will so that you can be like a super christian who has perfect discipline what so, were like, an was, hour was, to an hour and a half were you running were you lifting what were you uh, doing there'd be like time? running uh body weight training kind of stuff so like doing like uh like different workout circuits uh there would sometimes be, uh, Fridays were like a fun day, so we'd sometimes play like Ultimate Frisbee, although very intense games of Ultimate Frisbee or like soccer, uh, but like, uh, sometimes it'd be like kind of like improvised workout games. We did like one thing where it was like almost like an obstacle course with like tires and stuff that like we improvised and sort of set up. I almost got, I almost got injured during one of those workouts because like I fell as we were like running through like one of those like tires they have in like a drill sergeant like boot camp training situation and like jumping you're like you're putting each foot in a tire and i trip and fall and I like almost land on my neck on the rim of one of these tires and like i kind of like panic and like go into a fetal position because i'm like oh did i like hurt myself like your brain just kind of shuts down and i was fine but like one of the leaders there was like getting way too into the competition of it i was like yelling at me like matt get back up like what are you doing and I, my, part of my brain was like, I, I think I almost hurt myself. I, can I have a second? But, yeah, yeah. what are you going to say? And, like, so workouts were, uh, like, very exhausting. We, like, increased our mileage for running, but, like, never got really days off. So I basically spent the entire year with shin splints. Like, I remember oh my, my legs always hurt because, like, I was just getting overworked and didn't have, like, time off. And, like... In theory, I think any of us could have probably just said, I'm not working out today. Like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not in a condition to run. I need a rest day or something. 
But, like, who on earth would sign up for a program for nine months that's supposed to be about becoming the best person you can be and then not do the thing? Of course you're going to not check out of workouts. Yeah. And, like, it was just... And so, and, like, the... So it was just very, like, this was working out not for the sake of, like, becoming, like, physically happier or, like, anything like that. It was all about pushing yourself to your limits and then hitting that limit and then being able to persevere beyond that. And lots of stuff where, like, we would, like, uh, just, like, say, like, these mantras or, like, uh, how much do you have to give a little bit more? Uh, wow. Uh, there was, like, sort of this idea that, like, but we can all support each other. So like weakness shared is uh, strength employed. So like if you're running behind, like everyone else will like help you sort of, but it's still just this idea that like, but you should still be running. Even if you need help, you, you can't opt out. Uh, uh, there was a, a mantra of die quietly where like, how should you die? Die quietly. Don't complain. Yeah. Because that's what leaders do. Leaders don't complain. Leaders just do. Yeah, there's this pressure to, like, not have needs, not, not communicate those needs, not to have boundaries, not to have physical limits even, to push yourself at all times to be as much as possible. And then, like, and then God will just, like, help you if, like, you're struggling. And, like, your other leaders will help you if you're struggling. But, like, you can't say no. It, it really is a militaristic, like, approach yeah. to you know, leadership development, personal development. So, so, and this is really common across a lot of programs. There was a documentary that came out, um, uh, several years ago. This is when I was still in, um, the evangelical group I was in. I remember watching this documentary about the honor Academy, which is Ron Luce, uh, teen mania. If you're familiar with mm -hmm. acquire the fire, the acquire the fire, uh, conventions, youth conventions that would go on, they would recruit for Teen Mania, the organization that had this place called the Honor Academy, which was down in Texas. And there was this documentary that you can look up, I'm sure is out there somewhere about like the things that um, my brother-in-law yeah. actually went to the Honor Academy. They would have them, you know, crawling in mud under barbed wire and doing these like boot camp type of exercises to break down yeah. their body, break down them. You know, ultimately yeah, this is about control and it was it was this very like this idea that was sold was essentially this like if anybody remembers the pauline epistle line about i beat my body and make it my slave and that was i think a very big part of rev five's culture was just this idea that you should almost have contempt for your needs because that means that you're more spiritual because like you can you you're so spiritual you can tell the physical to obey you essentially. Okay, but isn't there not to go uh, have a like wh whatever Bible war? <laughs> isn't there some Bible verse about in Timothy about like um, spiritual discipline is way better than physical discipline or some some kind of um, spiritual conditioning better? Than <laughs> so yeah, with like spiritual discipline, that was like more important than physical discipline, which is why like our workouts were not tailored to like what our our objectives were like you know, I want to just be able to, like, do certain things or, like, you know, I want to get this mileage when I'm running. It's like, no, the goal was just do grueling workouts so that you can impose your spiritual will on your physical side. And, like, the, it, the like, spiritualization over the physical was even, like, my mentor in the program would, like, say stuff about, like, we are not 
physical beings having spiritual experiences were spiritual beings having physical experiences. Yeah. And again, this idea is like the physical is less and we can override it. In so many of these situations, I just listened to the, the IHOP KC podcast, uh, Heaven Bent, um, which is still going, continuing uh, the host. Um, I feel like her name is Jenna. She's incredible. Um, look up Heaven Bent. But she's still doing episodes, even though she ended the season, because there's still stuff going on just current events uh, with what's happening mm, with Mike Bickle yeah. and we won't get into that, but she talks about fasting and the episode in terms of fasting being a required aspect of being at IHOP. And so when you think about like fasting, right? Like going days and days without food, many of these people in organizations like and these training programs, whether it's Teen Mania, Honor Academy, IHOP, Rev5, these, you know, there's long days, so it's physical exhaustion. So you're you're not eating, you're pushing your body, you're staying up, you're you're being sleep deprived. In IHOP, for instance, you're you're being exposed to music stimulus, right? There's no place in that building where worship music isn't playing 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So you're staying up for 24 hours, not eating, pushing your body, being exposed to this constant stimulus of music. It is like textbook brainwashing like like those are if you were going to sit down and say how do you brainwash someone those sleep deprivation food deprivation uh you know constant exposure to noise and 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 that's how you break like this is like stuff that you would if you were going to imprison someone and try to break them down yeah I hate to be dramatic, but it really is. Like, yeah. it's, well, it and is. I want to get into like what your actual days looked like because I mean we've only yeah. gotten from like seven a.m. to eight a.m. and, and <laughs> yeah. a lot already, of these okay. places that, um, like, so, if you watch that Hillsong documentary, there's like people are pulled from these schools to do free labor for their organizations, right? And so I want to get into that. Yeah, too. yeah let's, let's. There's dive a few in. points. During my Rev Five year, where like we did free work for people as like sort of like a like thank you for getting access to spaces that they shared. So it wasn't like it wasn't as bad as some of these organizations where they are essentially using their interns as like a free labor pool for the elites. But it, there were a few points where I'm like, I feel like the, in hindsight, this was kind of a little bit like we did a lot of very hard work and then didn't get paid for that. That's that kind of, of was yeah. not okay. But, like, so workouts uh, on Fridays, we would have to do uh, one of the things where now I'm like, oh, this was, like, a great sign of, like, things were not okay. We had to do punishment sprints for uh, keeping our spaces clean. So, like, the idea was every week they would, like, go through our, like, rooms and the common areas and, like, tally up, like, how many, like, mess violations there were. And then at the end of the week, we would have to run. And this was also the same sprints that we would run for, like, being late. And we would run up this hill, and then back down. And it wasn't like, it was kind of a steep hill, but it wasn't too long. But if you have to keep doing these sprints back and forth, you just get so winded and exhausted. And then you're having to do like 30 or 40 of them. Wow. After this is the day, like the fifth day in a row of working out on top of chin splits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I'm trying to remember if it was up to 60 or even more was like the most we ever did. But they were; those were one of those things where, like, I would hit these walls and just be like, I'm not a person right now. I'm just keep doing it, do it, do it. Like, there's no, this is my life now. Like, there is not going to be a point where I'm not running sprints. Is that, like, you just go into this, like, hole in your mind. 
And sometimes the leaders would like help us run because like they're never going to ask us to do something they're not willing to do. But still, it's just like this. You're not running this because this is going to make you better at running. You're running this as punishment so that you'll learn to be more disciplined. That is and that everyone the ran right. these together for everyone's yeah. consequence for whatever the yeah yeah it was collective punishment yeah well and I think this is a common experience I, I know I keep going back to Teen Mania but it's just because the organization I was in was not an organization it was a um, mentally <laughs> ill man who was running this like uh, collective of kids basically um, but we did many of the things that were happening at a larger scale at IHOP, at, you know, uh, Honor Academy, et cetera, right? So I've just, I think YWAM. Yeah, YWAM. It's a more palatable example. But for instance, like you would sign up for the Honor Academy and you would go down there and you'd get a work assignment. Many of the kids who signed up and paid to go there in addition to doing this physical, exhausting, militaristic uh, thing um, were on grounds crew, right? Mowing lawns on the campus or... Uh, this is my, my, my favorite is there was a huge portion of those kids who again paid for training who ended up in call centers calling uh, attendees from Acquire the Fire, right? So somebody would get a cool job like, you know, you're going to work cameras and go on tour with Acquire the Fire and, and, and run cameras or stage crew or something like that. That almost sounds cool, right? Like, I'd pay money to Wait, do that. can I just pause? Were people, like, drawing these jobs, or were they able to choose They were, like, assigned. Jobs? No, you were assigned. You showed this... up. You didn't know what you were doing. You were, you were assigned a job, and you did. Can, can I just say that assigned. I just started reading this dystopian middle grade book that my daughter, my 11-year-old, had to read called City of Ember, and the first chapter they have... They have Ooh, I remember that. They're assigned jobs like this. It's just, like, this is not okay. Like, this can... is dystopian. Can you imagine paying thousands of dollars to go to a leadership training program to to sit in a call center and call people and convince them, hey, I, you just went to Acquire the Fire. You gave us your information. Oh I want to see if you'd like to come here to Honor Academy and and you <laughs> and do what I'm doing, which is work at a call center to get other people to come. So it's like self – you were always recruiting, too. These programs were yep. always set up to recruit more people. Yes. And what Matt said about benchmarks is the same thing. It's creating this yeah. environment. Yeah. Red 5 wasn't that, wasn't like having us sit in a call center, but there was also like, yeah, this idea that like, you're not just like a student here. You're an ambassador for like our way of life. And like, that's what you're supposed to do as a leader. You're supposed to get people, if you don't get them into the program, you're supposed to at least get them thinking the way that we do. You're supposed to go into churches, go into like, a youth group go into like wherever you're going, you should be bringing this level of energy and waking them up to like the real things that they should care about. And like, so yeah. Uh, so, so going back to, to the day. scheduling yes. side of things. So after workouts, we'd have breakfast uh, as a part of the meals. Like we would have like a shared meal. Uh, it wasn't bad. There was like enough food to go around. We weren't like starving or anything, but uh it like cooking and cleanup after like we would have some we would go on like rotations like who's doing what for like which parts of the day but like some of you some of the students would have to help clean up because there were just a lot of dishes and then after breakfast you would usually do quiet time which was terrible because you just did a big workout and you just ate breakfast and what your body wants to do is sleep 
and now you're going to go sit quietly and try to read your Bible and journal uh, for how using long? a terrible, like they typically recommended like for like an hour. And are you and living like, like in? Oh yeah, we all. Can, okay, so are you living we, in like in dorms? Red five, <laughs> in Red Five, there was this old building. It was like I don't know, like uh, some sort of like barracks from like when Colorado Springs was uh, like military. Like that part of it was like maybe a military barracks or something. So it was like this like longish building had like three stories, one like partially underground, first floor, second floor. Uh, and like guys were on the first floor on the left going in. Girls were on the second floor on the right side. This sounds a little bit like, like an episode of Alex rooms. Ryder. I'm sorry, but <laughs> continue. It is, it, like, again, I've compared, I've compared this group to like Treadstone from uh, the Jason Board things of like, this is a group that like takes you, strips you of your personality and turns you into a weapon. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 that it, was like kind of the goal kind of is. to make us culture warriors, but like not like global secret assassins but like our goal was to infiltrate society and bring it into a dominionist mindset for sure and when you look at like joshua generation just to bring that up because that's yeah. another oh, yeah. thing that came up in the documentary that you know everyone just saw about the i don't know weird tlc family but uh Shiny, happy yeah, people. joshua generation the joshua generation movement was really was doing the same sort of stuff and then like going out and shooting ak's right like like we're gonna mm -hmm. go do shooting yeah. like we're gonna go like arm yourself for the impending revolution <laughs> and and politicizing it so we all lived there uh i had a room uh with a roommate uh at the time we kind of were like very different people so like we didn't have like a super deep friendship but uh, like because, like, for example, like, he was very into sports, and I could not have cared less about sports at all. Like, so, like, we didn't have a lot to, like, get along with except being in the same program. Uh, I actually, one weird quirk uh, was that I often, like, had, like, I felt like closer friendships with some of the women who were students. Like, there are still, like, like I have, like, one very close friend who was from that same year who I've stayed in touch with, uh, but, like, yeah, like, I, I, it was one of those things where, like, in hindsight, I guess maybe you could have known that I was probably not straight, because, like, <laughs> I'm the one hanging out with other women late at night in the kitchen while we're, like, talking up late. Drinking tea. Because uh, all the other guys have left, and it's just me and three other women. Yeah. And, like, that became, that was, like, a running joke, was, like, oh, yeah, Matt and the girls are, like, up again. Yeah. And, like, in hindsight, hmm, maybe I uh, should have <laughs> noticed that. But so, yeah, so we all live together. We're all in the same space constantly. Uh, you're doing your quiet time. You, like, pick somewhere. You pr I, I constantly struggle to, like, stay awake or stay alert during quiet times. So they were not very productive. And it was mostly me just, like, trying to figure out, like, a lot of my quiet times were me basically just going, like, I need to listen to God. I'm trying to hear God. Where is God? Like, please just tell me what you want from me or like, can I hear your voice? Just lots of that for nine months because I was under the impression that like, that's what everyone else is experiencing. Like everyone else in this program seems to be able like during worship or quiet times, they seem like they're in tune with God. They feel confident. They seem like they're, and I wonder how much of that was really just people putting up a front of their own to hide an insecurity because they too were struggling the way I felt. And I was just the one who was, being more open about it. Okay, but well, I, do remember that was I, 
I just want to interject here because that was something that came up on the Masters Commission podcast where like everyone was doing this striving and striving and striving. But of course, the, if the goal is perfection, nobody's there. And so leaders would just be like, I know what you were thinking today or I know somebody's hiding something and every single person yeah. would think that they were talking about them. Right. And so there I think was... everyone probably has a sense that like, I'm not doing this well enough. I'm not good enough. I'm, I could be doing better. I, you know, right. There's Don't such you... a predictable psychological yeah. response to what everyone's going through. Anyone who has been a yeah. leader in these sorts of things for more than one round knows how to manipulate. Even if it's subconscious, you and, know how to manipulate. People. Yeah. I feel like it's just, it's an emergent property of this kind of an organization or group. It's just like, yeah, you just wind up in a state where like everybody is being selectively disclosed. It's a selective disclosure. You don't want to struggle too much, but you also don't want to act like it's too easy. You need to be constantly like hitting this like middle point where you're struggling, but making progress, but you are, you're, you're raw. It's like, you have to like unconsciously navigate this. Like, how do I fit in with this group because it's all about fitting in. This is not a group about actual authenticity. This is a group around a sort of in a faux, a faux authenticity. It, it's an Instagram filter. You know, we're, we're influencers for Jesus almost, which means that we are actually being very insincere people at like a very core level. We're not being true to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves about what we're experiencing so that we don't feel as much distress. But like, so we do quiet times. A lot of the times we were recommended using soap, which was scripture, observation, application, prayer. So you're just supposed to like read the Bible. You're reading through like a book. You read <laughs> I a few hate verses. that, by the way. I, Let me just I say, well, I fucking hate so it. so many acronyms too. <laughs> oh yeah. You're supposed to journal about like what you observed and then figure out how it applies to your life in Rev 5 right now and then pray. And that was like the thing that was like pushed is like, if you don't know what to do for your journaling practice, like, do soap and was you know just didn't really do much because also like it's it's like the worst way to read an ancient text because you have no context you're not a trained scholar so your observations are terrible but that's what we were pushed and it's it was just very like it was always like this common present like you're just supposed to assume that everything in the bible is meaningful for you right now and has a message for you right now and it doesn't matter the context of verse any verse can be relevant somehow. That's what you just have to figure out what God is saying by this verse. And then after quiet times, we would have classroom and classrooms covered four core subjects uh, across the year divided into like quarters uh, based off of the dominionist concept of the seven mountains or seven spheres of society. Oh, you guys did seven mountains. Yep. In oh, fact, that shit. was actually a part of like, so Rev Five had like this. a motto of what its mission was, and that was written at like the across the like a sort of like part of like a edifice inside of the opening area. Like if you opened the door and went into Rev Five, you would see this written in paint, and it was the mission of Revolution Five is to disciple, train, and develop college and twenty somethings to love God, love people, and lead with purpose and persuasion in every sphere of society. And that wasn't an accident. Sphere society is referring to the seven spheres or seven mountains from dominionism. Yeah. So the seven spheres are family, church, workplace, government, arts and entertainment, uh, education, and was it media? It's like Christian nationalism, 
on steroids. Yes. Like it's like it's like so, not only are we going to make a Christian nation, like we are going to overtake every aspect of the world and make it Christian. Yeah. So the Seven Mountains, or I believe. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy, was it Lance Wallnow of the New Apostolic Reformation who codified a lot of the concepts, uh, but it comes from New Apostolic Reformation. It's this idea that, like, God has specifically ordered Christians to take control of every aspect of society. Like, this is not an option. These are, a, this is a biblical command that, like, the, 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 you know, the Great Commission and all of that, these are things where we're supposed to go into not just, like, we're not supposed to evangelize people about Christianity. We're supposed to go into government, into workplaces, into schools, and we are supposed to take them over for Christianity because Christianity is just so much better that this new apostolic reformation or whatever other version will just make these places better inherently. Like, it's just, if you run a business using these good biblical principles, it will be a better business objectively than a business that was run without these principles. Objectively. So, like, we're better than these people will win. Yeah. And so that was what, and, and it is connected family. Or it is connected to a lot of the people who, yeah. who the, the most likely I'm guessing that the, the program that Megan, you mentioned the master's commission, like probably had a connection. I know Mike Bickle and the Kansas city prophets were very connected oh, to yeah. this movement, which was very deeply connected and embedded with YWAM on a global level. Mm -hmm. So like all of these yeah. people, were connected, right? Like there, there is a deep connection, and all these organizations are still active. And you move into the the short term missionaries. You're this is happening across the globe. This is not just like in the United yeah. States. This is all over the world. This is so fucked up. Yeah. So, so Rev Five focused on the New Apostolic Reformation's uh, the first four of these uh, spheres: family, church, workplace, and government. So, like. Across the year, we would, like, cover topics in these different spheres. Uh, but, like, you know, like, uh, workplace was businesses. Like, they, they had this idea of, like, we were going to be entrepreneurs. We got, like, some seed money, and we're supposed to start our own businesses after we, like, split up into groups. Uh, my year, my group did salsa and tried to... But, like, a lot of it was, like... You, Wait, the dancing or the dip? Uh, the dip. <laughs> Both. One of the, one of the people in our group had lived in Mexico and had a very good uh, salsa verde. It was really good salsa. But, uh, like, it was just this very, like, we don't have a lot of, like, time to actually do this. So it's very haphazard. It's very messy. And it's just it's just a bunch of 20-somethings who are overworked trying to, like, do a business and not fail at it. And it didn't, re it wasn't really a business. We were essentially playing at business. Wow. Yeah. But the idea was we were supposed to we're just going to become entrepreneurs. We're going to be good with money because we're biblical. And that just means that everything we do is just better. And ideally we were supposed to like bring this to like, we were supposed to start businesses maybe and use that money for, you know, achieving dominionist ends and hiring other Christians and all of that. Like, and that was the business side of things. There's another, was like, there's another angle to this that I want to talk about too, because I think what, what Matt is saying about, you know, doing business and training in entrepreneurialism as a means to like take the dominion of workplace, right? Additionally, there is this thing that happens that's a grift um, that is a con um, 
and and I'll I'll say what happened with me small scale and then like where where you see it large scale is like we my group did things we started a coffee shop uh, we started a little sandwich shop we started these various different businesses essentially as like tax sheltered tax free ways to like launder money for lack of a better wow. word right is is these ways to like create a a economic incentive for people to give money that would be a mission, right? Because we are a coffee shop, so we're reaching the community. So not only can we make money and like hedge, you know, some of the tax uh, taxation that regular businesses face, but we can actually like get people to donate to this business venture because it has this missional cause. And we ended up seeing other churches take on this. For instance, we did a driving school so that we could get youth pastors and youth staff in cars, driving with students, having conversations with kids as a, as a means to get them involved in the church and the youth group. We started Again, a U-Haul. get them when their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. Just grab exactly. them right then while they're still in formation. We started a U-Haul rental business that was renting out U-Hauls. And when people would drop a U-Haul off at our place, they were new in town. We would invite them to the church. We would proselytize. We would, because, hey, you're new in town. You don't know anyone. We can wow. swoop in and be... Yeah. this community for you. So Be intentional. Yeah, this this idea and you see it in larger scale with churches who start publishing companies or Hillsong record labels and are able to like economically make this huge boon off of, you know, starting a missional business. The cause. Yeah. Yep, so that's that's the that was like the business side, and that's very much like the business culture that they would have wanted. A lot of it was also just this, you know, very Dave Ramsey esque. Like, you should not get too much debt because <laughs> debt is for bad people who are stupid, and you're good Christians, so you won't have debt because. And also, like, what? there was just also this like idea of sort of an that's a direct Dave austerity. Ramsey quote, by the way. Okay, wait. I'm yeah. sorry, but they just charge you thousands of dollars to spend a year not making income. So how, yeah. how I, I just don't understand how they can just be like, and also don't acquire debt. It's like, I mean, a lot of it is just, they don't think about that kind of thing. Uh, you know, just it's, you, you can't introspect too much because then your own system will fall apart. You're a leader of this group. If you're doing bad things, you spent years of your life hurting people so you have to always avoid that introspection and just always just assume no that i'm doing everything perfect yeah because to to admit failure would to just be have your entire life's purpose crumble in front of your eyes mm. as you realize you've done the opposite of anything you ever wanted to do yeah but like so that was the business side of things just very like also, a lot of it was just sort of this idea that we should accept austerity. It was kind of during that era of, uh, what's the, who did Radical? Oh, Dave uh, Platt. Dave Platt, uh, <laughs> uh, Francis Chan's Forgotten God. This era of, like, we should be willing to live like other, like, not like other people, because we should be giving our resources to the church. And nobody pay any attention to how, like, some of the biggest voices on this, like, new Christian austerity movement also have incredibly lavish lifestyles. Yeah. Like, who live very comfortably, do not actually 
avoid seeking the platform, avoid seeking the money, avoid seeking a nice, comfortable life in America. No, 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 no. Don't pay attention to David and Francis over here not living by their own mission. Well, and we don't even have time to get into Francis Chink because, like, his whole thing about, um, I just have to get this in. I have to get this dig in. But it's like, get it. like if you love your partner or love your kids too much, then that gets in the way of your relationship. Oh, I mean, that was so that much was of Red very Five. Explicit. Yep. Like, and it's just like, how fucked up that you have to say, like, oh, I, I can't have my earthly relationships be too solid because that might yep. get in the way of my that was so much of Brett Five's culture so much of these cultures is like this idea that you you must your most important uh, most valuable relationship is with God which means anything that gets in the way must be destroyed in fact like you feel guilty over not wanting to give things up to God like you should be willing to give up people gave up hobbies people gave up relationships with people even friendships because they decided that this must be getting in the way of my like relationship with God. And so I have to like step away from this or not see this person again, because they might be a friend, but I need to focus on God more. And you would think because you, God must always have primacy. Yeah. You would think that, that it would be really clear. Like people hear about cults and people hear about these high control environments. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh man, if somebody asked me to like, you know, cut my parents off, I would never. But like when you, when you get in a situation where you're like, your your parents are clearly like, hey, th- I'm concerned about what's going on, and then leadership can go like, oh, they're like they're like getting in the way of you pursuing your 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 commitment yeah. to God. Like it becomes very easy to cut them off because like literally they are keeping me from pursuing godliness. And we, I mean, we heard from a listener that talked about their experience at YWAM, and it was exactly that. Their parents were like, hey, why, like, we, we would love for you to see you go to college. And they were like, no, I'm going to YWAM. Like, why, like exactly that, you know? Yeah. It's super easy to cut them off because it's like that militaristic mindset again where it's like the mission is of a, a priority. It's primacy, you know, like the Matt said. Yeah, and then since we're also like 18 to 22-year-olds who've been raised in evangelical fundamentalism since birth for most of us, like we're also primed to believe that, yes, actually our relationship with God is the most central one. Our parents taught us that. Our parents taught us that like before we can remember. I, I was taught that my most important relationship was mine with God, and that relationship was an inherently lopsided one where I submit to God without question. My dad would regularly tell me that he loves God more than me. Like my God, my, my, my God, my dad, my dad would like regularly, it was a very common occurrence to be like, I love God more than your mom. I love God more than you. I love God more than like, that was almost more primal, like more important and priority than I love you. It was like, I love you, but I love God more than you. And I always will. Yeah, and that's the fam. Welcome to the family chapter of Red Five. <laughs> I know. We talk well, about and, this I, and I think what we patriarchy. should do right here is I think we should kind of like wrap this as maybe part one of this episode, and then continue the conversation. I love that. I got so much more shit I can say. Oh boy. All right. Whew. There's even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, come back for part two. Uh, we continue. Uh, and we probably could have done like four parts. Like this could have been, <laughs> we could have done a whole season of Thereafter on this. But we needed, a, you know, you need a palate cleanser. You can only talk about that sort of thing 
for so long. Um, but I'm glad we're talking about it. And there's something slightly cathartic, I think, about talking about it and about hearing other people who have had similar experiences. For those of us who have been through things like what you know, Matt and uh, so many of our other listeners have shared. Yeah, and I know it's helped, um, I, you know, even some of the folks that I hang out with here have been through some of these, and and just listening to experiences from folks that went through the similar type or the same school, knowing, oh, shit, like, that that's what you went through, and just being able to help make people feel seen. So um, appreciate Matt coming on, and then he'll be back next week. Um, what else? We have some things to plug. So, Cortland, where can people find you and the podcast and anything else you want to roll out? Yeah. So, I'm at Cortland Coffee all over the internet, Instagram primarily these days, Twitter. I'm back at it uh, and over there somewhat consistently. I'm on threads. I'm in all the other places as well. You can find me at Cortland Coffee, the podcast, Thereafter Podcast on Instagram. Uh, and threads thereafter pod on Twitter and most other places. Uh, we'd love for you to join the Patreon. Um, the Patreon gets you access to our Discord server, um, connects you with over 100 folks who are listeners to the show, who are members in there, and we're trying to kind of build some community in a little bit smaller, more private space to connect and have conversation and community. Uh, and that's patreon.com slash thereafter pod. Uh, Megan, where can people find you? And then where can people find info also about the event? Let's give one more plug for that. That's coming up, uh, in February. Yeah. Um, just, I just want to add on about the Patreon. I've been hanging out there more. It's so much fun. I love our Patreon. I've, I've shared some, uh, news about some life updates there and, and things like that. So that's been fun to have a place where it's a little bit more private and a little bit more intimate and you can be a little bit more open. So I like that. And um, you can check out our event at contentwarningevent.com. And again, live stream or in person. And you can find me at The Pursuing Life on all the places. Probably more. I, I try to leave Twitter. I really do. And then I go back. I still call it Twitter at least, though. <laughs> Uh, somebody it was it must have, I think it was Jared it was Jared or Dave I think it was Jared on the pay, uh, on the discord was like I think when Cortland talks about uh, uh, Twitter it's always like he's like confessing to his accountability group they looked at porn again he's like I did it I did it I opened up I cleared my web browser history afterwards um, that's how I feel about Twitter <laughs> it's a shame Oh, man. Well, um, we will be back next week with the rest of this episode. So until next time. Until then.